Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. We're back this week with some more pearls from our morning report. Just as a quick reminder, Morning Report is a long-standing Bellevue tradition where a senior resident leads a discussion on a case they've recently seen. The feature that makes this conference a bit different, perhaps even unique, is that there are routinely a handful of senior faculty members, many of whom are full professors of emergency medicine, and they show up and they give their opinions on the case and the management and help drive the learning forward. It's a fantastic opportunity to hear how some of the giants in emergency medicine would take care of cases and to see the differing opinions and thoughts. Each of these cases has multiple learning points, but often there are only a couple of truly critical ones, pearls that can easily become lost since only a small number of learners are present to hear them. The goal of this podcast series is to keep track of some of these pearls and disperse them throughout the EM community so that we all can learn from these amazing clinicians. The first set of pearls this week comes from Matt McCarty, one of our senior residents. He presented a case of acute pulmonary edema, a topic we've covered in the past on the blog, and we'll drop some links in the show notes to our post, as well as one from the MCRIT podcast. Actually, it's podcast number one on this topic. Matt's first big pearl was to give high doses of IV nitro to patients with acute pulmonary edema. In APE, the sympathetic overdrive from the patient's endogenous catecholamines causes a huge increase to both preload and afterload. Both of these need to be dropped for the patient to get better. We know nitro drops preload, even at low doses, but at high doses, somewhere around 150 mics per minute, afterload will drop as well. When the APE patient comes in with a pressure of 220 over 140, they're tachycardic, they're tachypnic, hit them hard with the nitro. A study out of Detroit by Phil Levy quoted doses of up to 2,000 micrograms over three minutes. I typically start a little more conservatively. 400 to 500 mics per minute as a loading dose, and then closely watch how the patient responds. As soon as I see the blood pressure start to drop, the respiratory rate start to come down, I drop that dose back to 200 to 250 mics per minute. Matt's second tip was to consider delayed sequence intubation in patients you can't pre-oxygenate adequately due to agitation. We often see this in patients with acute pulmonary edema because they feel like they're drowning, they're altered, and they don't tolerate the face mask, much less the BPAP. Often you can get them to tolerate non-invasive positive pressure ventilation by slowly weaning them onto it. We've got a great video on the site discussing this. However, in some cases, even this won't work. You really don't want to start your RSI with an O2 sat of 88% because you know they're going to drop like a rock once you paralyze them. Instead of doing that, You can give the patient a medication to take the edge off their combativeness and anxiety so they allow the mask to be put on in the first place. The tricky part is what agent to give because you want to give them something that's not going to drop their respiratory drive since you'd like to delay the administration of the paralytic. Ketamine appears to be the ideal agent here as it's going to help the patient to comply with the preox but won't affect the respiratory drive. As to dose of ketamine, I've used a number of approaches. You can probably get there by simply giving 1 to 2 mg per kg as a slow IV push, but I've also just done 20 to 40 milligrams and repeat if needed. I find that sometimes 40 milligrams is more than enough to take the edge off and allow the patient to tolerate that non-invasive positive pressure ventilation. Our second set of pearls comes from Zandra Ortego, one of our senior residents and soon-to-be faculty. She discussed a case of subarachnoid hemorrhage with a focus on the workup. We talk a lot about subarachnoid hemorrhage, who should get a non-con head CT, and who should get a tap. Xandra started by pointing out that not all serious headaches are subarachnoid hemorrhage. We've got to think about meningitis, encephalitis, occult trauma, venous sinus thrombosis, and cervical artery dissection as well. 
In terms of subarachnoid hemorrhage, you want to make sure to ask every patient if the headache was sudden or severe in onset, if it reached maximum intensity rapidly. The presence of any of these red flags should make you strongly consider the diagnosis of subarachnoid hemorrhage and start the workup. A non-con head CT, if done within six hours of symptoms, is extremely sensitive in the diagnosis of SAH. The Perry Group in Ottawa has done some fantastic research on this topic. Their 2013 paper was discussed on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine, and we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. In patients with a low to moderate risk of subarachnoid hemorrhage and a negative non-con head CT within six hours of symptom onset, you're probably done with working up the SAH because of how good CT is in this window. However, if you've got a very high suspicion for subarachnoid hemorrhage with a negative non-con head CT or the patient presents outside that six-hour window, you should consider moving forward with the LP to definitively rule out the diagnosis. Finally, Xander reminds us that it's not just about the diagnostics, but also about treatment. Regardless of what you think the etiology of the headache is, remember to treat the patient's pain. There are a lot of cocktails out there for headaches, and we'll drop a link to an article by Ben Friedman on managing migraines, which I think gives a good medication progression for any headache. Lastly, let's hit some pearls from a morning report by one of our PGY3s and newly crowned chief resident, Brent Dibble. Brent presented a case of a patient who had ingested Drano. For our international listeners, Drano is a commercial product for cleaning your drains and is a highly alkali agent. The first thing Brent stressed was regardless of stability, always be ready to control the airway. Airway edema can come on fast and furious, and you don't want to get caught unaware. Keep these patients in a resuscitation area, have your airway setup done, including multiple suction catheters, and have a backup, a second backup, and be prepared for a surgical airway as the injury may preclude orotracheal intubation. Second, Brent reminded us that patients often do not take single agents when they're trying to commit suicide, so always be cautious that it's not just the Drano. Always check acetaminophen and salicylate levels regardless of the history as they are common co-ingestants and we have treatment geared towards those agents. Finally, in spite of the patient's appearance and stability, perforation is common. Start with plain films, but don't stop there. Advanced imaging may be necessary to find these perforations, and if the perforation's there and the patient develops peritonitis, they're probably going to the OR. Three morning reports filled with great pearls. Let's review them one more time. In patients with acute pulmonary edema, give high-dose nitro to decrease afterload and preload quickly. 400 to 500 micrograms per minute for the first 4 to 5 minutes is my standard approach. Number two, consider DSI to facilitate pre-oxygenation. Ketamine should be your go-to drug here. Number three, a non-con head CT performed within 6 hours of symptom onset is extremely sensitive for ruling out subarachnoid hemorrhage, but nothing is 100%. If you've got a high-risk patient, you should still consider an LP. And finally, patients with caustic injections can have rapid airway deteriorations. Prepare and always be ready to take over that airway at a moment's notice. That's all for the CoreM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, Falls in Google Plus, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks and see you all next week.